All right, get uh, your notes ready. I feel like the Lord's given me, I, I've been praying, Rachel and I both have been praying all for several weeks now, honestly. Okay, God, what's next? What are you going to do? What do you want to talk about? And um, Thursday, I had nothing. And then I got in my car, and the Lord just downloaded all this stuff, and I couldn't keep up with my notes. <clears throat> so I'm excited about it. Um, I'm talking about recompense. Say recompense. Um, so we're talking about recompense and God's perspective on recompense and uh, what his heart is for you. So I'd love for you to take some notes, um, and it's going to be good. We're taking a lot of, oh gosh, we're taking a lot of stuff out of this book. It's called The Good Fight of Faith by Alan Vincent. Anybody read it? Mero? Maccoby? Okay. Uh, Ashley, this is an excellent book and does talk a lot about standing in faith and recompense also. We started reading it back in 2010, and I'm just now, fin- just kidding. Um, read it in 2010, and it changed our life for real, and it really, really helped us. I very highly recommend this book. It really did shape our faith significantly. So um, good fight of faith. And then also I'll touch on a little bit again the Courts of Heaven book that we've been talking about recently. So both of those books are awesome, and I recommend them. Are you ready? Okay, today uh, Eli has a little arsenal of Nerf guns and toy guns and all this kind of stuff, right? And um, for his birthday just a, a week ago, two weeks ago, um, I decided to go. He's tur- he just turned 10, and I decided to buy him an airsoft arsenal. <laughs> um, so at, at Dick's Sporting Goods, they had like the big AK-47 airsoft gun and the little pistol. And it was 50 bucks, and it was a big present, and it was a little scary because those things hurt, and he's only 10. And I, but I was like, it's time. Make this boy a man. <laughs> so I got him, I gave him this gift, and he flipped out. I mean, just completely lost it. He couldn't believe that, like, he finally had the airsoft gun. And it was an addition to his mighty arsenal of guns, okay? And now he has a powerful tool he can use to win wars with his friends. And I feel like this morning, this message is a powerful tool. I'm giving you a powerful tool to put in your arsenal of faith in Jesus' name for you to stand up and fight with the enemy and to see recompense come into your life. So get ready. AK-47 is on the way. So recently I had a couple things happen in my own personal life that reminded me of the importance of having kingdom perspective regarding recompense. And um, I had a chance to exercise my faith in these areas. And as I did, I was like, man, I'm so thankful. Because my response this time was so different than a few years ago. And I thought, I'm just so thankful, God, that you've taught me about this. And that you're continually teaching me about this. And that this is a tool I have to be able to... Now, now when this stuff happens, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm like, yes, all right, let's go, come on, okay? So I hope that that will be your response too. Let's start with remembering God's perspective, okay? Matthew 7, 7 through 11, God is an amazing daddy. He loves you so much. He's the best daddy you could ever hope for. Um, he loves to give you good gifts, all right? Also, Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 18, verses 6 through 7, that God is a good judge, Okay? God ultimately is love, right? If there's only one word you could use for God, it'd be love. But if you can't use the word love, another, you know, maybe the next word we could pick would be just. Say God is just. Everything about him, everything inside of his DNA is just. It is right. It is correct. It is good. Everything inside of him. 
So Jesus tells us in Luke 18, 6 through 7, he tells us this story about the widow who has had injustice happen to her. And she comes to the wicked judge. And she's banging on the wicked judge's door or office or whatever it is. Hey, give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. And he's like, Psh, lady, I got bigger stuff going on. Leave me alone. And he writes her off day after day after day after day after day. But Jesus tells us that because she continues to bang on the un unjust, wicked judge's door, he finally gives in and says, oh, fine, I will give you justice because you won't let off. You're going to kill me with your persistence. And Jesus says, I love that. You need to do that with God. But God is a just God, and he loves to give you good things. But sometimes in his justice system, he has to be long-bearing with you, and you've got to hang in there until justice is served, okay? But God, Jesus says, bang and keep on banging, okay? Okay. Um, also keep in mind the perspective that God has invited all of us to live in his household, a part of his kingdom inside of his castle. You have the choice to live as an orphan in the kingdom of God. You can go live as if you did not have a good daddy. And you can go live as if you had to take care of yourself completely. But that's not God's heart. God's heart is that you come into his house and you live with him. And you enjoy dinner with him every day. And you enjoy his company. You enjoy his presence. You enjoy partnering with him to advance the kingdom that he has created. And God loves it nothing more than for you to partner with him. Partnering with God is one of my very favorite things to study in the scriptures. Um, it just blows my mind that the God of all universe, the one with all power, loves to come and partner with you and put responsibility and weight upon you, looking for you to do something so that he can then do something. If you study the book of Exodus, you see this over and over and over again with Moses. And it, every time I read it, it just blows my mind. You will see time and time again in Exodus how God has a desire in his own heart to advance his own kingdom on the earth. And God looks to Moses, and it's like God's hands are tied behind his back. God cannot respond. God cannot accomplish what he wants to accomplish on the earth until Moses partners with God and does some sort of faith action that then allows God to show up and do what he wants to do. It's crazy. And, you know, just standing at the Red Sea, the Red Sea there, and God is ready to give them freedom. He's ready to bust open the seas. But God can't do it. Until Moses takes action, and when Moses takes action, then God is unleashed and the seas open up. God partners with him. And not only that, but God loves to partner with, like, vice versa. Sometimes you see things that are on Moses' heart that apparently were not on God's heart, and God partners with Moses and says, yes, I will do the thing that you want to do. I'll come alongside you and help you too. It's crazy, okay? So have the big perspective. God has adopted you as a son. He wants you in his house. He wants to partner with you on the earth. So in order to live the fullness promised to us by Jesus in John 10, 10, which says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay? So in order to live that life, we have to understand our place in the kingdom and how God wants to partner with us to accomplish his will and advance his kingdom on the earth. Amen? Okay. Are there any planners in the room? Anybody love to plan? One, two, three, four. Okay, we got at least four. All right, five, six. Okay, I'm not a planner. I uh, I can put together a good plan, but by nature, I am not a planner. Okay. My wife, on the other hand, 
she is one heck of a planner. And she's like the planner queen. It's in her blood. It's in her DNA. She literally can't turn it off of her brain. She just plans constantly about things that are so far in the future. I can't even begin to wrap my head around it. And it's a beautiful thing. Okay? I love it. It gets me excited. Sometimes it might make me a little tired sometimes. But it gets me excited. So she texted me this week. She was out in Target or something. And there was this pack of stickers and it was this big fat sticker in the middle and it was real cute it said planner's got a plan and she said i just found my life motto <laughs> i said heck yeah buy that sticker that is true planner's got a plan okay now who knows you planners know but who knows when you make a good plan it costs quite a bit okay i can guarantee you if i say rachel Go for it. Plan whatever you want. Make it amazing. It is going to be quite costly. Amen? But there's nothing wrong with that. Say there's nothing wrong with that. So a good plan is costly. Do you know that God has huge plans for his people in his kingdom? Amen? So does it make sense that God's huge plans are costly? Wow. The echo. Yeah, God's plans are costly. All right? So if God has a costly plan, and he's dreaming of things he wants to do in the earth, and ways he wants to advance his kingdom and advance his people, how does he accomplish these plans? Does he just wave his little magic wand and bam, it just happens? No. Does he just send his angels and they just do their, do their thing and it's done? Bam, it's done. No. Most often, God has to partner with somebody on the earth to accomplish his plans. Who's he partner with? The family. He partners with his sons and daughters. He loves to advance his kingdom with you, sons and daughters. So if God has a plan and he wants to advance his kingdom and he partners with believers and his plans are costly, who is actually paying for his plans to be accomplished on the earth? I mean, God is, yes. But ultimately, the money literally coming out of the bank account is from believers, from you guys, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good, and that's right, and that's just, okay? So see the big picture. God cares about his plans. God cares about his people. God cares about his plans on the earth. Partnering with people, he cares about your finances because your finances are directly connected with his dreams, okay? So God cares whenever the devil comes along and, and lies, cheats, steals, take something away from you the devil has just taken something away if you're fully submitted to God if you're under his covering if you're under his household now if you're a believer but you're living as an orphan and you take care of your own money and you have nothing to do with the Lord and in you know if it's separated different story but if you're submitted to him if you're serving him if you're under his authority then when the devil comes and takes your stuff you, he has just taken God's stuff, and God cares because that was going to advance his kingdom, and now it can't. Amen? Everybody tracking with me? Okay. So when, uh, and that's also why it's so important for you to steward what God gives you extremely well in all seasons of your life. God wants to partner with you to advance his kingdom. He wants, you to, he wants to take care of you like crazy. But if you don't steward the things that he gives you, he can't trust you. 
In all the days of your life, God is going to be testing you to see if he can trust you because he has much bigger plans for you than what you have currently experienced. But he wants to wait and see if he can trust you or not. And if you don't steward what he puts into your hands well, then he may pass it on to somebody else that he can truly trust. Okay? Very important. So when Rachel was back in college, um, she, she went to Baylor. That's where we met. And her dad told her, hey, go to college. I don't want you to focus on anything else. I'm going to bless you to be able to focus on school. Uh, he was paying for all of her school. And he said, I'm going to pay for your school. I'm going to pay for your room and board. I'm going to pay for your food. I'm going to pay for all of your needs because I want you to focus wholeheartedly on school and do really well in school. She was fully underneath his covering, okay? And every so often in college, he would call her up and say, hey, honey, how you doing? Talk for a little bit and say, hey, how much is your bank account? And she'd tell him whatever number was in the bank account. And if, it, if he felt like it was a little bit low, he would fill it up without her asking. He would just take care of it because she was under his covering, and he wanted her to be able to focus carefree on the things she was called to do, which was right and just. And that's exactly how God wants you to be. But one day, this boy came along in college, and boy and girl fell in love, and boy and girl got married. And you know what happened on the day that boy and girl got married? She left her father's covering, and she came under my covering. Hallelujah. Amen? But you know what happened on that day when she left her father's covering? Her dad would talk to her and say, hey, honey, how you doing? Good. Okay, great. You know, how much is your bank account? And she'd sheepishly look at him and say, oh, $13. <laughs> and, he'd, and he would think, Wow. That's alarmingly low, <laughs> as he should. <laughs> and she would be thinking the same thing, coming up from how she grew up. And I would be thinking, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> we got 13 bucks, man. What's a, a couple dinners? What's the problem? But I'd also be thinking, oh, my gosh, Lord, please come, show up, you know? But you know what he did not do after he asked that question? What did he not do? He did not fill up her bank account. Why? Because she was no longer living under his covering, okay? So all too many believers today have decided that they love God, they want him to be daddy, but they leave his covering, and when they leave his covering, they think their finances are their own, the money comes from them themselves, the work they do on their own, and they are not under his covering, and they don't have the benefit of being in that type of relationship, living in the Father's house, having him take care of everything. There's a difference. The, the orphan thinks everything they have to do on their own, but the one under his household doesn't think about it. They don't have to worry about it because they understand the finances come from daddy. He takes care of it. I don't know how he takes care of it. I don't. Yes, of course, I work diligently for different things, and money comes from there, but the money doesn't come from there. It comes from him, and he uses this as a platform to do these things, right? So that's how he wants us to, to be thinking, Okay. Don't be an orphan, okay? Don't live that way. Live under God's covering. Back to our focus on recompense. If you live as a prince or princess in the kingdom of God and you're submitted to him and his purposes, then he cares very, 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 very much about your finances and your provision and everything else that goes along with you. That's very important. We all remember, always, God wants you to prosper. Amen? But prosperity is not money in your bank account. Okay, the word prosper means to be led along a good path. Okay? 
God wants to lead you along a good path. And when you prosper, that is a very holistic picture. It does not mean you're going to be a millionaire. Okay? There's a big difference. All right? Get it right in your, in your brains. So John 10.10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and give it abundantly. So if you're fully submitted to God and living in his kingdom, when the lying, stealing devil comes your way and messes with your resources, God cares, and God gets upset, and God wants to do something about what's been stolen from his bank account. Okay? So again, God is love, but if we could say a second thing, God is just. But because he's just... He has laws and rules to follow. There's a protocol that he has to follow. Um, and unfortunately, most believers don't recognize the protocol. They don't recognize God's heart. And so when the enemy comes and steals from them, they just think, oh, darn, it's gone. Oh, well, move on with their life. And they might whine about it. They might cry. Like, ah, God, blah, blah, blah. But they don't understand the protocol. And because God is just, he has to follow some protocol. And because they're not... Coming in that protocol, God can't help them, in a sense. That response doesn't allow God to be just like he wants to be. So a great example of this is uh, Harvey Weinstein. Um, he, you know, just came out on the news big time on all this terrible things he's been doing to women for decades. And now I believe there's dozens upon dozens of women who have made claims almost identical of what he's done to them. Okay? Well, he'd been nationally defamed, completely, completely torn down, stripped of his marriage, stripped of his business, stripped of all these different things. And it was about a week or two into it, and I saw this thing on the news that I thought was so fascinating. The police were responding to complaints by people around them saying, why haven't, why haven't you brought justice upon this situation? Why is he out there free? Go arrest the guy. Put this guy in chains. Do something. Come on, do something. And the police responded. They said, you know what? Even though there are at this point at least a dozen women claiming the same stories, not one of them has come to the legal authorities. And until somebody comes and files a formal complaint against this guy, we literally can do nothing. The American justice system is completely tied with its hands behind its back unless you follow the protocol of the legal system. Okay? And it's the exact same way in the courts of heaven. You get wronged. Terrible things happen to you. The devil comes and does terrible things, takes things away from you. And if you just whine and complain and make it vocal that you're upset, it's not in God's justice system. But if you go and file a complaint inside of God's justice system, then justice can begin to have its way. And you can see recompense come back into your heart. Alan Vincent, I told you about this book, Good Fight of Faith. I'll plug it again. But he uses an analogy about this New York businessman. He says it's like this. If, if a businessman lives in New York and every single day he wakes up, he puts on his clothes, he puts his wallet in his pocket, he starts walking to work. And he's walking down the street and every day he goes the same path and every day he takes this turn. And every day when he takes the turn, somebody's there and they mug him. They beat him up a little, they take his money, they run away. He's like, oh, man, I got mugged again. Next day, he gets a new wallet, puts his money back in his wallet. He goes for work again. He turns the corner. Same guy's there. He gets mugged again. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. And every day, the guy is just like, ugh, take it again, right? Does he like it? No, of course not. 
But it happens every single day. Do you think this thief, this mugger, has any motivation at all to ever stop mugging this guy? No. There's no motivation ever because he's not being held accountable. There's no justice in the system. But what if the guy, the businessman, learns karate? And he comes out one day, he takes a turn, the guy's there, he's like, what's up, man? Hi-yah! He pulls a little karate out, he starts chopping away, and before you know it, the mugger's face is in the concrete, being rubbed down there. He's pinned down, he can't get out, the police are called, he gets thrown in jail. Is, he, is the mugger going to be there the next day? No. Okay? He's going to think twice before he tries to steal from this guy again. Why? Because the guy realized the innate power inside of himself to take uh, uh, this situation by the horns, if you will, and to put a stop to it. Okay? So that's a decent picture of how it is. So many believers with the Lord, the enemy comes, he steals something from them that may have been earmarked for advancing the kingdom of God. And God cares about it, and God is mad about it, but they just think, oh, darn it. And they just let it happen day after day after day after day, and they're not putting their foot down and doing what it takes to prevent it from happening anymore. Okay? So Jesus told us in Matthew 16, 19, he said that he's given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever we bind up in heaven will also be bound up on the earth. And whatever we loose in heaven will also be loosed on the earth. Amen? I know that if you read the NIV, it's backwards. The real Greek reads it how I read it. So there's a, there's a battlefield. What happens in the heavens then happens on the earth, right? The, the reality of warfare in the believer's life is extremely real, okay? The battlefield with the devil is extremely real. But the battlefield is not the place where decisions are made. Say the battlefield is not the place where decisions are made. In the kingdom of God, decisions are made in the courtrooms of heaven. Okay? So you go to the courtrooms of heaven, you hear what the decision is, and then you go to the battlefield and you see the decision played out. That's how it works. Okay? Victory happens in the the courtrooms of heaven. The legal decision happens in the courtrooms of heaven. Then you go to the battlefield to see it played out. So Jesus is telling us in Matthew 16, 19, guys, you have the authority. You have the keys. You have the power. As, a, as an adopted son of God, a daughter of God, you have this power. Go to heaven first. Bind stuff up first there, and then see it happen on the earth. Okay? So let's look at a few examples of where God backed up his kids whenever injustice happened. I'm just going to blaze through these. Uh, but Genesis chapter 14 through 16, this is the story of Abraham. And Abraham, uh, he had family that was with Lot, and they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, I think I got that right. So four kings decide to go up against five kings. They have a big battle, Okay. The four kings defeat the five kings. In the process, Abraham's family is uh, beaten, and all of their possessions are stolen. And not Abraham directly, but his distant family. They're, they're a part of the battle, and they get swept up and taken away. So Abraham goes to God. God, what do I do? Go get them. Abraham takes 300 men. I love this. 300 men. 
And he goes against the armies of four kings who just defeated the army of five kings. And Abraham's 300 men, with the help of God, seeking justice in God's eyes, routes all four armies. And he gets back everything stolen from his family and way more. And he comes back extremely victorious and extremely wealthy. And when he comes back, it's the first tithe in the Bible where Abraham gives a portion of what he's Uh, what he's won in the battles back to God to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? God backed him up big time. Another one was the Israelites. God spoke to Abraham, your ancestors are going to go into slavery for 400 years, but they're going to leave slavery richer than you can even imagine. All right? And then the Israelites are in slavery, and they're crying out, God, look at this injustice. Come help us. And they go before God. God hears their cries. He sees the injustice. He calls Moses. Moses shows up. Ten plagues. They're getting kicked out of Egypt from the riches of Egypt. And not just, I love this, it's not just the king's riches. It is like all of the common people's riches, all of their gold, all their bracelets, all their stuff. Take it all. Get the heck out of here. Leave us alone. And so they end up one of the wealthiest nations around. Because God backed him up. Because they went through God's legal system. Another one was David, 1 Samuel 29. And this is a story where King David, he wasn't king yet. And he, was, he had been anointed, but he wasn't king yet. He was in this waiting period, and Saul had been trying to kill him. And so David has taken his mighty men, and he takes them um, into the Philistine area. And he makes a deal with the Philistine king and says, look... I don't want to be over there anymore. Can I please just hang out in here? I'll help you with your stuff, whatever you want. Just come on, give me a break. Because if I'm here, he's not going to come after me as much. So the king gives him a city. The Philistine king gives David a city. And so the Philistines and the Israelites go to war, and they're going to have a big battle. And David rises up and says, he says, look, king, thank you for taking us in, giving us peace and safety for a while. We're going to come fight, and we're going to defend you. So David is fighting against the Israelites is the plan. It's crazy. So David goes up to fight, and when he gets there, the other kings that are a part of this, this battle with the Philistines, they say, no, 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 we don't want the, no, no, he can't be here. No, he's with the enemy. He's the bad guy. Kick him out. And the king vouches for him. No, he's cool. He's cool. He's going to help us. And they're like, no, it's too dangerous. We don't want to risk it. Get out of here. So the king says, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to go. So David goes back to his city that the Philistine king had given him. Three days later, he finally gets there. And guess what? The Amalekites have shown up, and they've raided the whole town. They've burned it down. They've taken his family and all of his possessions, his livestock. They've taken everything and all of his mighty men. And very quickly, there's outrage. And the mighty men are angry and furious. Why would you ever take us up there? We shouldn't have gone up there in the first place. He was just trying to do what's right in his eyes. But now they're about to kill him. They're about to stone David because of this situation, because everything that they had was gone. And so David, he goes before God. And if you read it, I think it's so beautiful. He goes before God. He calls over the priest of the Lord. And the priest of the Lord goes and gets everything he needs to come into the presence of the Lord in correct fashion, in correct order. He follows the protocols of heaven. And when the protocols of heaven are met, David goes before the Lord and he presents his case before the Lord and says, look at this injustice that happened to me. What are we going to do about it? And the Lord says, I got it. Go get them. So David says, the Lord said to go. So they go run after him, and they get everything that was stolen, and they raid everything that the Amalekites had taken, and they bring it all back as spoils for themselves. And I love it when he comes back. He says, David says, these are the things we took from the Lord's enemies. I love it. And he gave them as gifts to others. 
So David starts taking the spoils that he took from the Lord's enemies because they came against David, therefore they're the Lord's enemies. And so now David has taken from the Lord's enemies and he took what he won and he begins to send extravagant gifts to the leaders of the nations all around him, thus in a very practical manner advancing the kingdom of God through Israel in the natural for whenever David became king. And the spoils that he took from the Lord's enemies went on then to create a temple for God, Solomon's temple. Isn't that cool? So when you follow the protocol, God wants to back you up. God is on your side. He wants to back you up. But you got to pay attention to the protocol. So what exactly does the Bible say about recompense? Here's just three scriptures. Um, and again, if you want more, get the good fight of faith and dig into it. But Exodus 22, verse 1. I'm not even going to pull it up. I'm just going to tell you what it says. You can dig it up. Exodus 22, verse 1, all the way through 4. There's a little bit more around it. But basically it says, if a thief comes and steals an ox, then the thief is caught. He has to pay back five times what he stole for the ox. Okay? If the thief comes and steals a sheep, he has to pay back four times what he steals. Okay, And Alan Vincent says that the ox, in his opinion, is the one who labors in the kingdom of God. Okay, It's, it's a man or woman who is laboring in the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God. And if you look in the New Testament, you find it again, um, the apostles talking about the oxen and, and, and how they're worth double wages and how you shouldn't muzzle them. And he directly ties, those who work to advance the kingdom of God are like oxen. Okay? So in your life, if you have a situation where you feel like the enemy sweeps in and steals somebody who is fighting, advancing the kingdom of God from you, you can go before the courts of heaven and ask God to demand recompense to the enemy five times is what his law says. With a sheep, which would be a believer, four times what it says. Then in Exodus 22.4, it says if the thief is caught in the act of stealing, but he doesn't actually get away with it, then the thief has to give back what he tried to steal and pay back double what he was trying to steal. Okay? So if you have the enemy come into your life and poke around and you, you're like, no, you are trying to steal this from me. This is the Lord's. No, sir. He's got to pay back double. So if he comes and tries to take $100, he's got to pay back $300. Okay? Proverbs 6, verse 30 through 31. It says, if the thief steals money, he has to pay back sevenfold. Okay? This is the verse that says, you know, if the, if the thief steals because he's hungry, we all have pity for him. But regardless, he's going to pay back seven times what he's stolen. Okay? So the enemy comes into your life and takes money. Seven times is what the law of God responds. So we know that at times Satan is allowed to test our faith. And sometimes he does this through lying, stealing, killing, or destroying. And when he does that, our response, according to the New Testament, is to rejoice when the enemy comes in your life and messes with your stuff. The Bible's response is to rejoice. Stand strong because it will produce perseverance and then your faith will become mature and mature faith proves to be more precious than gold and mature faith will result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus. Amen? So tie that together. Sorry, I skipped over the scriptures there, but James 1.3 talks about the testing of your faith producing perseverance. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, 
If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want you to put together the recompense that we've been talking about and the response to the testing of your faith. All right? Alan Vincent uses another illustration. Um, of, of if you look at a man and he's being beaten with a wooden post and it's a big nasty wooden post and this guy just keeps beating him over the head. But the person being beat, he's bleeding and gushing. He looks miserable. But the person being beat, he's smiling every time he gets hit. And every time he gets hit, you're thinking, what the heck is wrong? Like, oh my gosh, this looks so painful. What are you doing and why are you smiling? But then you later find out that every single hit across the head this man, the one hitting him, is depositing $20,000 into the one being beaten. $20,000 into his account. And so he's getting hit. Oh, $20,000. Yeah, oh, 40. Yeah, come on, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Does it take away the pain? No. Okay? The pain of the attack is still painful. All right? But there's a bigger picture at play. And that's kind of what God wants us to understand with these verses in James and 1 Peter. When the enemy comes against you to attack you, is it painful? Yes. Is it disappointing? Yes. Is it brutal? Yes. Is there a bigger picture at play? Yes. And so our response is to rejoice and say, yes, for the, for the prize set before me, I will stand in joy and in faith for this thing to pass so that Jesus can get his full reward. Okay? So, put the two together. And I want us to be able to merge the understanding of recompense and the understanding of going through trials and tribulations in your faith and stand strong on the two. So, whenever the enemy comes to you and you're under God's kingdom and God cares about your stuff, then our response, biblically, should be one of joy Okay, and one of faith, and one going into the legal protocol to see the Lord come and do justice, all right? And to believe that if we stand in faith long enough, justice will be served on our behalf, okay, if we're going about it the right way. Now, do you know that in the legal system, if you bring a trial to court and you quit halfway through, what happens? It's done. It's dismissed. It's finished. If you quit showing up to the battle, the judge writes it off, and he has to let it go. No matter if you were 100% right or not, the judge has to let it go. And a lot of believers will start the process and say, oh, God, come on. And then they'll forget, or they'll get weary in their faith, and they'll let go. And when they let go, it's dismissed, in a sense. There's a whole lot more into it, and I'm sure I'll learn a whole lot more when I get to heaven. But these are the general guidelines. So don't give up. When you're in the middle of your battle, don't give up. Stand strong in faith. Expect God to demand that the enemy pay back what was stolen from you according to his law. All right? So I told you I had um, a couple recent things that happened to me. uh, And I, I want to share them with you guys for the purpose of driving in the point and to say thank you, Lord, for how you've taught me over these years and hopefully model a little bit of the example um, of what we should respond with when these things happen, okay? 
So both are real estate deals. I don't want you to think that this is my normal life because this is not my normal life. Um, so don't think like, oh, my gosh, wow, Grant's doing these deals. No, it's not like that. Like my deals are normal, very normal. These deals are extraordinary. Okay, so here we go. Recently, about a month ago, well, maybe three months ago, um, I had this apartment deal fall in my lap. I had a friend who was selling a big apartment. It was $2.4 million. And he said, hey, if you know anybody who wants to buy it, you know, we're looking for somebody. If you find a buyer, we'll pay you $48,000 commission. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. But also, yeah, right. I'm never going to find a buyer for $2.4 million. How in the world is that going to happen? And so long story short, it all just fell together. And I had a buyer who said, yeah, we'll pay cash. We'll close here. Let's do it. So I'm, on, I'm, I'm set to get $48,000 commission on this certain day. This is the biggest real estate deal of my entire life. I've only been doing it for two years, but, I mean, this is a huge deal for me. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Lord, thank you. And I'm praying about it, and I really, honestly, I feel like the Lord speaks to me over and over again. This is a gift from me. I'm launching you out into this next season, this next phase of ministry, and this next phase of business. This is, this is seed money is what I felt like the Lord told me. This is not like money, go spend it. Like this is seed money for you to steward well, to grow into everything I have planned for what's next. So it feels very holy to me. It feels very special, and very, they're like the fear of the Lord on this deal and on this money. And I'm so thankful. And every day I'm like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just want to hold it loosely. Uh, you know, if it falls apart, it falls apart. But just thank you for the seed money. So we're going along. I spent a lot of time and a fair bit of money on this deal, making sure everything's going smooth. Everything's working just fine. And we're like thumbs up, green light all the way. We're going to close, going to close. About uh, two weeks, maybe 10 days before closing, I get a phone call. Hey, we're having some trouble. We want to get an extension, we're blah, 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 blah. Long story short, the deal falls flat on its face. And not only does it fall flat on its face, but my two parties decide to go to court and fight each other over the earnest money. And I could get wrapped up in the middle of it and get thrown into a lawsuit. So all of a sudden, bam, it's all gone and it's taken. And I want you to know, thankfully, because of this book, to be really honest, the Lord had trained me. And my immediate response was, well, hallelujah. You want to play that way? Okay. Praise God. There will be recompense on this. Absolutely. Are you sure you want to do this? Okay, fine. Father God, I come before you. The enemy has come in and stolen your seed money that you had given to me to advance your kingdom in new and powerful ways. And I bring this case before you and I lay it before you and I say, God, would you demand justice on the enemy who's just stolen this $48,000 in the name of Jesus? And I stand in my place of authority. I stand in my place of legal right according as a son of God who is advancing his kingdom together with him. And I have zero doubt that there will be recompense. Okay? And then just, just again this week on Tuesday, I had a, a real nice house in Edmond. And uh, it, the commission for it was anywhere from 5000 to 15000 And we came to the end of three months, and my deal with him was three months, and then we'll stop, and then another three months. And so we come up on that second part, and we'd verbally agreed to continue listing. He was going to drop the price and go on. And this guy, he's a real sweet guy. He's complimented me, like, more than any of my other clients probably. He's like, gosh, this video is so good. This, these pictures are so great. I can't believe how many showings we're getting. Da, 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 da. We just need a buyer. You're doing a great job. You're communicating great. You know, very complimentary. 
And so um, the listing expires. I'd submitted some paperwork to the real estate commission. I was waiting on them to process it. So I was a little bit in limbo. So I had to wait like a day. And I told them, hey, you've know, got to wait a day or so. It'll be, we'll go live here in a moment. On the, the next day that it had expired, a snake in the grass came up from Norman, some real, big-time real estate agent, and he shows up at the door with contract in hand, ex, uh, a listing agreement in hand, and he kind of weasels his way into the house, begins this conversation, and, and my client said, Grant, he was here 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, and before I knew it, I don't know what happened, but my, my signature was on the paper, and, I, and he was gone. And it was not terms that I liked. It was not terms that I agreed to. He left the door, and I looked at my wife in shock, and I thought, what have I just done? I just signed a deal with the devil. It's literally what, what came out of his mouth, right? And I was like, hey, again, I just thank you, Jesus, that you've taught me. Like, hey, praise God. <laughs> All right, hallelujah, amen. Devil, you want to play that way? Let's, let's play ball. Let's do it, Okay. And so I come to God again, and I bring it, I lay it before him, you know? I mean, literally just stolen away. And um, so those two deals together could have gone up to $63,000 of commissions, which is just mind-blowing to me, right? Um, a few years ago, we were making like 20000 bucks a year, right? So, I mean, this is mind-blowing. But my response, because the Lord has taught me, was not... Oh, no, God, my money, my money. It had nothing to do with my money, and there was nothing in my heart of, like, I'm not going to get to do these things. It was completely your money, your kingdom, your advancement. Like, my money doesn't come from them. My money comes from God, and that's money going to him, and they just stole his money. Oh, you better watch out. We're going to play ball now, devil, and you're going to pay big time, right? So I don't say that to um, boast Right? I just want to use it as an example of this is how I believe a part of what a believer is supposed to respond with. And I, I will rejoice and shout loud when the recompense comes. I think the other thing we got to realize is the recompense does not come how you expect it to come almost ever. So you, I, I can't say, okay, $48,000 times seven, okay, this much cash on the next. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? Prosperity is not money. It's led down a good path. And it's just so much bigger than what we, what we see. And a lot of times it comes as a seed. It doesn't come as, you know, you took this, you take this. You know, it doesn't work that way. It comes as a seed. But you have to be willing to receive that recompense how the Lord sees fit, right? And then you've got to be willing to recognize when it comes and be thankful for those things, okay? So the last thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to um, do some ministry, and I want you all to pray over some different things, okay? I want you to start thinking, what are some places in your life where you know beyond the shadow of a doubt? That was, that was God's gift to me. The devil came in and stole that. What are some things like that in your life? Okay, start thinking about that. The other thing I want to point out is in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the mighty men of faith. It's the faith chapter, and it talks about how um, these people who they heard God's voice and they staked their lives on what God said and they stood by that word until the day they died. It says that they were heroes in the faith. It says that some of them heard God speak and they believed and they saw it happen and they conquered mighty, amazing, powerful things on the earth while they were alive. And they were heroes of the faith because they believed God. 
And at the same time, equally, there were many, 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 many others who heard God speak. They stood in faith until the day they died. They died in faith, wholeheartedly believing for the thing that God promised to them. And they are equal heroes as the ones who saw it happen while they were alive. And they were heroes because they did not give up. And you know what? It doesn't stop when you die. When those people died, they went up into heaven. They became part of the cloud. And they're rooting and shouting and cheering for the, for the mantle that it was passed on for that person to stand in faith until it happened. And they're a part of the process of seeing those things happen on the earth. And God sees both equally as heroes in the faith, regardless of time frame. All right? So there may be some things in your life where you know beyond the shadow of the doubt. The devil came in. He stole this from me, and I'm mad about it. And there, there is just recompense around the corner. I'm going to stand in faith. And to be quite honest, you may stand for months. You may stand for years. You may stand for decades. You may stand until the day you die. But if you do not give up, you will be rewarded for your faith. And the devil will pay because God is just and he will make him pay. Amen? All right, so practicals. What's the quick protocol of going in to the courts of heaven? And there's just so much more to this than what I can, what I even know. <laughs> but here's the simple story. Step one, be sure that you are fully submitted to God's kingdom and to, to his lifestyle. Don't be an orphan outside of his covering. It doesn't work if you're outside of his covering. You've got to be under his covering with the proper thoughts about your life and about his kingdom and about the family business that he's he's doing. So submit your life. Put your trust truly in God and not in things. You can't have the thought that my money comes from this thing that I do. You got to have the thought that my money comes from God or my possessions or whatever it is comes directly from God. Step 2. When the devil comes, recognize the theft. Okay? Recognize, oh, wow, that was the devil. Okay? Step three, go before God in the spirit and make a claim upon his just nature. Explain to him what you feel the devil did and what the devil took and remind God of his law of retribution and demand the devil pay you back what you rightfully deserve. If you want more info on that, again, the Courts of Heaven book by Robert Henderson is a great resource for that. Step four, be like the persistent widow in Luke 18. There's a process to the legal system. A lot of times the enemy will find ways to delay the response, to delay the decision. Stand strong. Don't give up. If you give up, the, court, the case is over. Step five, be okay with receiving God's justice in different ways, not just how you expect it to happen. It will rarely come in the form you expect it to come in. Justice in the courts is never just money. Prosperity God is much bigger. So be on the lookout for the retribution, but realize it may not come back in the exact same form in which it was stolen. It may actually come in the form of a seed. And then last step, step six, thank God when you see retribution coming your way. Even if it's just the tiniest bit, begin to thank God and declare that that retribution is on the way. 